0: Um, she was a special ed teacher in Israel. Uh, she would, in some ways, was a very average woman for this faith. She's pretty hardcore, uh, been trained. Uh, everybody in Israel goes into the army, uh, having parents that were Holocaust survivors. Uh, she was taught that no man should ever touch her except for her husband, even in kind of polite society or whatever. Um, she was taught, raised, and in fact had experienced that the Palestinian people are her enemy, uh, that they were going to try to drive Israel into the sea. She was standing at a bus stop just outside the uh, market. I'll just leave it at that. Um, There's a name for it. Um, When she was standing there with her two daughters, kind of, you know, kind of set the scene, grocery bags, two kids waiting at the bus, all of a sudden a group of men started running towards her. And she could hear shouting, and some of the men had guns. And they heard, she heard some of the men yelling terrorist, which, if you live in Israel, is unfortunately all too common. It's part of the DNA of the country is to know that your pizza place could explode any time you're sitting there. So she sees these men running towards her. She's got her daughters. The crowd kind of parts, and she sees as the crowd parted two young Israeli teenagers laying on the ground with stab wounds, holding their sides. And a man, a 21-year-old man, running towards her with a knife. And the crowd is chasing this man with a knife. And pretty instantly, you size up the scene. It's a terrorist who would made a knife attack against two young men. She had three seconds to respond. What would you do? Standing there with your two kids at the market, surprised by this. What should you do? What did she do? Well, you're going to have to wait till the end of the sermon to hear that story. <laughs> Stick around. Uh, today, we're going to wrap up our sermon series on glorifying God. And Bella will fit into this story. Um, it'll be just me this morning. Mike and I, when we were working on this series, um, actually Gary was a part of that as well. The three of us have been working on this through most of July But it became pretty clear that asking Mike to prepare a sermon or be a part of the sermon and prepare the music and perform the music is uh, asking a lot of him. So uh, I took the hit and kind of we volunteered to give Mike a little bit of of a break and just take care of one giant aspect of Sunday morning. Um, But Mike was definitely a part of this. So what you're hearing is not just me. This is Gary's influence. This is Mike's influence. And I'm very happy to kind of bring this home today and wrap this up. Um, first, a bit of a preview or review of uh, what you might have missed. Because some of you were gone uh, for various reasons the last few weeks as we went through this. And we don't take attendance here. I'm not, you know, not a big deal if you missed a few weeks. I just take it personally. That's all. Uh, But just, we wanted to start with the mission of Grace Point Church. And it's on the back of your bulletin. And that's, we exist to display the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And so, Gary and Mike and I set out this outline where we would talk about how glorious God is. And we'll kind of go through this quick review. Uh, Gary started with God is glorious and the glory of God and how much God loves each one of us. And we kind of focused on one of the verses Gary used was this out of Isaiah. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And how everything is full of God's glory. And God's glory exists on the the macroscopic scale of the entire material universe, points to God. And yet also at the microscopic, the very atoms, the the things that make up atoms, are all under God's control. He created it. He sustains it. He is sovereign over all of it. And with all that, I mean, you, you can blow your mind trying to study how big the universe is and how small things can get. And yet greater than all that is his love. And Gary used the term the abundance of love. And if the the accurate translation is the over, super, double, super abundance of love that God has for us. I don't know if you remember that, just the the super, super abundance. It's hard to translate in English. It's such a great term for the abundance of God's love for us. And Mike took that idea that if God loves us so much, We should respond to that. The natural reaction to being loved is to respond to it. And the idea here was that, out of 1 Corinthians 10.31, that everything we do should be a part of worship, that God is glorified as we worship him in all that we do. And we frequently kind of put God in a box. It's a Sunday morning box. I, I do this, I do this, I do this, and on Sundays I do God. And the idea Mike came up with is that well, I guess Mike didn't invent this idea, but the as everything that we do, we can do in worship and we can add God to that so that as I'm working, as I'm doing something here, I can make that a part of my life. God there is represented by the purple and gold. Okay. Yeah, if you ever, you know, convincingly beats an FCS opponent, I'll put crimson and gray up there too. But that's the idea that we God is at the center of our life and He's a part of everything we do, not just apart on Sundays. And then we took a look at how do we glorify God in the church. And we use this phrase out of Ephesians that we want to walk in a manner worthy. And that's all week, not just on Sundays. All week we are the church because the people are the church. And we talk about walking in a manner worthy. And we use the image of presidents who have, have a position of authority and they have a responsibility. They represent a set of beliefs, a set of values for the nation George Washington walked in a manner consistent with the values of the United States. Richard Nixon, not as much. Those were two examples of walking or not walking in a manner worthy. And then last week we covered this kind of larger point about how do we glorify God in our lives. And we used the image also out of Ephesians of putting on the new self. And how we communicate, and how we act, and how we treat one another can be a way that we we wear the new self of our our identity in Christ, and we learn that we're responsible for what we say, what we share, what we do, and how we share in an important way. And you all learned that you shouldn't send me fake news on email, and you should never roll your eyes to Mike. And if you remember those stories, those were pretty good, and that we want to be intentional at glorifying God and how we communicate, always in truth, and how we act and how we, we treat one another so we do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So wrapping it up today, the last verse we're going to cover, Russ read it for us this morning, and it's this simple theme that he must increase, but I must decrease. And so we're going to focus on that today, and that will be kind of how we wrap this all up. And our central question, the question we want to answer today is how do we glorify God? It's part of our mission statement of our church. How do we glorify God? And the answer is, we will maximize Christ in us. Our verse, our text that we're going to use today is what Russ read, John 3, 27 uh, through 30. And it's a story kind of taking place in the early days of Christ's ministry where a guy named John was out doing things, and it was written about another guy named John, which just adds to confusion sometimes if you're new to this. But very basically, there's a little bit of a, a contention. There's a little controversy, and John answers the a little contention. He says, a man can receive nothing. This is verse 27. Man can receive nothing unless it's been given from heaven, and you yourselves are my witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. Heavenly Father, as we come to you as your people to study your word, I pray that this morning that all that hear our voice and all that hear what we sing, that, Father, all of it would be illuminated by the Holy Spirit in our life, and as I break out your word, Father, that any mistakes on my part would be corrected by your Spirit, and that, Father, all of us would have an accurate and a meaningful encounter with your word this morning, and that it would cause us to be closer to your Son and more like your Son. And in this, we pray, as your church. Amen. Okay, very quickly, um, context, because, you know, I can't talk without talking about context. This is from the Gospel of John. Uh, The Apostle John is the author. Okay, so you're going to have to keep some roles here, typical guys named John. The Apostle John is the brother of James, who is Jesus' cousin. Uh, He was a fisherman, highly successful fisherman. He wrote the gospel, John the Apostle, wrote the gospel, and it says why he did it is so that you may believe, you meaning you and I, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's pretty good. That's worth the price of admission this morning, folks. That key verse to the entire gospel is chapter 20, verse 31 that I just read. Chronologically, this is the last of the gospels written. So it, uh, the other gospels kind of came first, and John's writing this later. And John had a lot of, he's got a couple books in the Bible, and what's interesting uh, compared to some of the other authors of books in the Bible, John doesn't have a lot of overlap between the Gospel and his other writings. So it's it's like 92% unique. So it kind of stands out a little bit. The Apostle John, and I kind of like I, I like to have a, a picture in my mind of these different people we're going to talk about. The Apostle John, Jesus, and the other John that we're going to talk about. And we have a problem. At least maybe I just have this problem. I'm going to share my problem with you this morning, and that's Hollywood. We're all children of Hollywood. We've, we've all been influenced by the, the things we see on TV and movies and even the, the art in illustrated Bibles. Being raised in America, you will think that all Israelis are blonde-haired and blue-eyed, like they're out of Nebraska, and that all Romans have English accents. Because every movie, the Romans have English accents. And if you're Egyptian royalty, you have to be played by an English person to be English royalty. Or um, the one gal with the the violet eyes from back that played Cleopatra. Anyways, I digress again. All slaves have to be played by Kirk Douglas or look like Kirk Douglas. And so we we grow up thinking that this is kind of how they're depicted. And it's important to kind of set the scene that this is written in the Middle East. This is written in Israel. Not a lot of people from Nebraska in Israel. Not a lot of white skin to be found in this neighborhood. These are very dark-skinned, dark-eyed people. And it, sometimes, I don't know why, that, that throws me off. When I, I don't know if it's lazy Hollywood or lazy artists or they didn't have the right color palette. I don't know. But set the scene. Keep it in your mind that these are real people. They really existed. And they, they existed in a place and a time. And it for me, to see a dark-eyed, dark-skinned, big beard, long hair, that that makes it a little more real for me. So up here is like, well, these aren't what anybody looked like, but that's what, you know, you have John in your, your top left there, John the Apostle. Below him is a guy that we tend to call John the Baptist, although that's not the greatest name. And then on the other side is a Hollywood depiction that at least has the right skin color of Jesus. And we're going to talk about each of these three people very quickly today. So first off, John... Uh, we've talked about John the Apostle, but John the Baptist, who is not from Nebraska, but John was a forerunner. He was the guy that comes first. John is like a herald from the old days, a messenger. Um, he was a testifier. He had a very primary role to testify that Jesus is coming. He came to announce and precede Jesus. He's like the the guy in the parade saying, the parade's about to come, um, He himself had a miraculous birth. John, uh, his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, were both very, very old when they had John the baptizer. Um, I'm going to go with John the witnesser because his primary job is to witness about Jesus. I'm going to call him John the witnesser from now on. So we have John the apostle who wrote the story, the gospel, and we have John the witnesser who goes out and witnesses. He also baptized people, which is part of our story today. Then we have Jesus, and it's easy sometimes to kind of blow past the importance of that and how big a deal Jesus is in the story because he, he kind of in our minds can just kind of be a wise guy, a teacher, a guy that does miracles, but this is Jesus who's part of the triune Godhead, that little symbol at the bottom there. Jesus is part of the Trinity. He is God the Son. He has authority given by God the Father. He has come to earth as a fully human and yet still fully god he came to earth without sin and never committed a sin so that he might observe the law perfectly which if you remember our study from galatians was kind of a big deal and that he came to serve others not to be served he'd be rejected by the churches and he fulfilled all kinds of prophecy that jesus came to die a humiliating death on our behalf, so that we might be free from the penalty of sin, that that death was physical. And that in the middle of that, he was separated from his father, which is a bigger deal than you might think. He died for three days, and then he rose again, achieving a substitution on what we deserve to take and giving us his righteousness. And there's a deep waters, of all that went on there. And at this time, at this moment, he is seated at the mighty right hand of God, interceding on our behalf constantly, actively. And we can't blow past the mention of Jesus without thinking and reflecting on the role of God the Son in creation and the primary role of God the Son in each one of our salvation. And the Gospel of John also provides I don't want to say the most important verse, the verse. I just put the verse on your notes. But in the middle of all that is a great reminder is the one verse that even non-Christians are aware of. It's probably the most commonly known verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you only have 10 seconds to share the gospel with someone, that's it. All the people protesting and signing. I think they missed the point. This is the one, in fact, in the middle of a football game, who's uh, one of the Huskies on his little back pad. God is love. I thought, you know, if you only have one thing to write on there and you want to say something, that's pretty good. Okay, you don't have to worry about keeping on the most important part. So, that's real. And if you're sitting here today and, and you don't believe... I can provide evidence that that's real, and the evidence is in my life and in the life of everybody sitting around you that believes that there were a change took place, and the evidence around you is the evidence of people's lives that have been changed because of belief, because of that promise, because of that awesome, awesome verse. Simple, clear, You can make it complex. There's deep meaning. You can dig into that for the rest of your life to get more meaning out of it, but it's still simple and clear. So, at this time, Jesus has started his ministry and is baptizing people, as Russ uh, read that. At the same time, John the witnesser is also spreading the news about Jesus, and John the witnesser is also baptizing people. And baptism is a sign. It's a means of identification. You believe and then you're baptized. It kind of makes sense if you think about it, that baptism does not save you. Baptism didn't mention there in John 3.16, didn't mention baptized, it mentioned belief. So when people believed, they were baptized. And this was going on. And then one of his followers, starting in verse 25 there, um, culturally at that time, if you were a leader, if you were bold, if you were clearly had some spiritual nature to you, you attracted followers. And kind of like today. And John had people following him. And John was very clear. I'm not the Christ. I'm pointing to the Christ. And people followed Jesus. But one of John's followers was trying to drum up a little controversy. Go figure. People tried to drum up a little controversy. And this guy asked this question kind of on, if I put it more colloquial terms, this guy asked John, hey, Jesus is uh, over on the other side of town there, and he, he's baptizing people, too. He's got more people. Huh? What do you think of that? Huh? Huh? You know, there, the guy was trying to drum up a little controversy. If this was today, the news media would knock themselves out covering this. They'd cover this like a football game. Fox News would be out there doing live stand-up. CNN would be out there doing their thing. You know, you'd be watching the game, and you'd go, da-na-na, da This just in. Second string, John the Baptist has just taken a lead with a one dunk in the last part of the third period. More on Sports Center later. People would cover this. This would they, we love controversy in this country. We love a horse race. We can distill everything down to a winner and a loser in America, and that's what this guy's trying to do. Because nothing's that different. They just didn't have Sports Center to cover the race. John's response: This guy's drumming up controversy, and our flesh. Might be kind of nice to have some guys following me. Might be nice to say, hey, I'd, I'd kind of like to have more followers. Yeah. But what did John do? He did two things that I think we'll, we'll break it out with three little parts in your notes. But first, he was humble and he was happy. Humility and happiness was John's response to this controversy about, hey, what do you think of this guy? So, three points here humility and happiness. First point, verse 27. John is used for God's glory. John is used for God's glory. And John points out very clearly, John the witnesser points out, everything we have is from God. Every good thing we have is from God. And you can reflect on your own popularity, success, achievements, whatever it is, it's all from God. And it points back to God's glory. And John the witnesser is thinking about this. A man has nothing unless it came from God. It's going to be used to glorify God. So first thing is everything we have is to glorify God. Verse 28, John, the witnesser, is humble. He's a witness. He has come and he has the privilege of speaking before Jesus appears. People at that time were used to famous people having somebody go in front of them. The, the Roman generals, when they came into a town, would have a group of people go before the general. General would have a chariot or something, but there'd be horses, banners, captured goods, slaves conquered. They would all go before the general to announce, here comes the important person. John, the witnesser, is doing the same thing for Jesus. And he makes it very clear: I am not the important person here. Jesus is the important person. I'm not him. He's humble. He realizes his position. And verse 29, he's happy about it. He's happy about the position. John, the witnesser, uses a cool image. It's like a wedding. John, the the witnesser, is saying, I'm like the best man at the wedding. Not the most important person at the wedding. Jesus is the bridegroom. The church would be the bride. And John is just so happy, so happy to be able to announce this. He's happy to hear the voice of the groom. Just to hear the voice, he's such close. He's he's joyful about that, and when he thinks about that, he says he will deny himself in order to exalt Christ. Christ must increase, so John the witnesser must decrease. Must. That's an important word in that sentence. Must. If you get into the grammar of it, it's an imperative, like a command. It's a, a necessity that John, the witnesser, must decrease himself in order that Christ would grow, and his Christ renown would grow. And it's something that is, um, you do it now, and you keep doing it. You don't stop doing it. It's not a a temporary thing. It's a permanent thing. I don't know if you've seen this sticker before, on the back of a car. I watched Formula One, and I thought it was hikey, because I guess I've got a little touch of dyslexia or something. But um, I saw I said, oh, Heike, Heike Kovalainen, the driver. That's interesting. And then I kept looking a little closer. I was like, oh, that, that K goes the wrong way. It's a math symbol, which is also why I didn't recognize it. <laughs> he, you guys all know this, right? He is greater than I. That that I was like floored by that. That's clever. Check that out. That's awesome. My wife's like, yeah, they sell them everywhere. Um, but it's a great, that's a symbol. That's Verse 30 of John chapter 3. He is greater than I. And I love it because now I see it. It's like a little secret handshake thing. Ah, I know. That person's, yeah, they get it. How do we glorify God? We maximize Christ in us. Make him greater than us. Now, we've looked at this as a church for our mission statement. It's a very God-centered thing. It's not about what we do. It's about what God does in us to glorify himself. As we allow God to use us, as we engage with God, as we conform to God, as we worship by his spirit, as we serve by his spirit, as we are led by his spirit, we glorify the Father. We glorify the Son in us. We must decrease so that he can increase in us, and that brings some glory. So the question kind of maybe, you know, that's a good one. How do we glorify God? How do we more intentionally glorify God? How do we more intentionally maximize Jesus Christ in each one of our lives? And what we want to do is to apply the Apostle John's writing about John the Witnesser into our daily life. And this kind of moves into a little bit of application. What I want to do is give you Kind of three ways to apply it and then then kind of summarize the whole thing with three principles I've learned. So kind of a three and three thing going on here. We can apply this verse essentially by following the example of the Apostle John and John the Witnesser and Jesus. Jesus, when he was interviewed, always pointed to the Father. John the Witnesser, when he was talked about, always pointed back to Jesus. We can do the same thing. To be a little more specific... We can praise God for everything that we have. Gifts, abilities, talents. And we can point to God for every blessing we have. Three things to live out John's example. First is conform. that means confirmation to the example of Jesus. That we are stamped spiritually with an image of Jesus. Like a soft metal gets stamped into a coin. That's kind of who we are. And as our life goes on, we want that image to be more clear. So when the world sees us, they don't see this flesh. They see Jesus Christ in our words and our actions and what we do with our talents and abilities. That's conforming ourselves to God. Secondly, God has plans for us. It says so in Jeremiah 29, 11. He has plans for us. and It's an individualized plan. Every one of us has a plan, and God's plan is better than any plan we can ever come up with. Best plan ever. If we find that plan, if we pursue that plan, if we engage in that plan, we will be more conformed. We'll be able to do A on there very easily. But realize there's a plan for us, and it's individualized. We have to learn it. John the witnesser was following God's plan, and he was a joyful person. Third one, C. We have to realize this is countercultural. In America, our culture tells us get as much as you can. We distort personal liberty and turn it into sort of a self glorification, elevate ourselves thing. We have a celebrity culture. We worship things and fame and fortune, especially. Look out for number one be all that you can be. It's all about you. Think of every advertising slogan. They go against making him increase and decreasing yourself. That is a, a countercultural thing. The lie that we're being told is the same lie that the serpent told to Adam and Eve. Be all that you can be. Find out what you're not supposed to find out. Don't follow God's plan for you. Increase yourself, not him. Our culture is a, a part of that. Doesn't even know that it is, but it is. I can testify, as can Gary, as can Mike, as can Paul, as can hundreds of some people, that the more you give to Christ, the more you will get out of life. The more that you give yourself to Jesus, the more you will get from God. Now, I don't mean financially. I'll, I wouldn't rule anything out. That it will be better than finances. What you get will be better than the money. There's a direct causation here. This is not correlation. This is causation. The more of Christ in you, the more joy you will have in your life. Simple, period, guaranteed. And again, you can. there's a lot of people that will testify that in here. Three principles. Summarizing this whole thing, bring this to a conclusion. Six weeks about glorifying God. I have learned three things that I think are principles that... I'm going to be able to, to use in my, my life. I mean, I, I thank you that I'm able to preach because I get by far more than any of you get out of it. Um, when you have to learn something to teach it, you get a ton out of it. So this is, this is good for me. These are the three things I've learned, or at least three. First off, applying the principles of John. Be active. Okay, I have observed, I have found in my life that God uses active people. God is in active roles. If you come to church to be served, you might be missing the boat a little bit. If you come to get, you're missing the boat a little bit. If you come to give, if you come to be with the church and give to others, you're going to receive a whole lot. Now, there's a worship team, and we'll, we'll take care of giving you something, even if, you know, you're here. It's okay. But the more that you get engaged being active, the more you will get out of this you have a gift, and if you're a believer, you got a gift. You're to use it to build up the church. If you have talents, abilities, friendships, everything can be used to build up the church and others. You can be active without moving. You can actively listen to people. You can actively listen to a sermon. You can be active in your personal worship. It's not necessarily activity. It's about your brain is engaged in being active. God uses Active lives. God, I believe, is most glorified in active people. Secondly, people are important. This sounds just kind of stupid to say as a as a concept, but sometimes we forget this. People are important to God. If there's a dispute, if there's a choice, if there's a, a, a path where you can't figure out which way or what you're supposed to do, the path that is most loving to people is more likely than not the right path to take. God loves people everybody. God loved Hitler. God still loves Hitler. God certainly loves the person you're angry at right now, or the guy that's tailgating you, or the person that left the card out in the you know, safe way that dinged your door. God loves that person. You can be angry, but God loves that person. We remember that people are important. It keeps us focused. Now, sometimes loving another person means confronting something in love, but speaking truth, all of you, Also means not letting things go by and not letting something slide. That's also showing love and putting another person as important. And sometimes we have to have the hard conversation. That's also making people important. Last, (laughs) expect change. If you are following God and you are being matured in God, no matter what your age is, you will experience change in life. I've had my career changed three times at age 18, at age 22, and then at age 37. Every time my career changed because of that, it was not what I wanted at that time. I was resistant to it because I thought I knew better what the plan was, not God. But I was just, just, just enough of an active believer that it worked. And I praise God for that. Because every time a couple months after that change took place, when I was all mad about it, I discovered that was way better. That was way better than anything I was going to come up with. Best plan ever. All God. So, that's six weeks. That's glorifying God. Did I forget anything? Oh, yeah. Bella Freund. Our friend Bella. Bella's there at the market. Bella's at the bus stop, got her two daughters with her, a bunch of people running towards her. They part. There's been a terrorist attack. 21-year-old kid with a knife slashed two Israeli youths running right towards her. What do you do? You have three seconds. Go. 41-year-old woman, two kids, shopping bags, sees the kid running towards her, and she does two absolutely amazing things that will illustrate the three principles we just talked about. Bella sees this 21-year-old, Pretty fit kid with a knife running right at her. She jumps out in front of him and trips him up with her body. I mean, it's picture like a collision, and they all go down together. She sees the crowd running towards them. The crowd has guns and has murder in their eyes. She throws herself on top of the Palestinian youth to protect him until the police could get there. The enemy of her people, she throws herself on top of and uses her body as a shield on top of this young man who hates her so that the crowd could not harm this kid, so that the police would get there and justice could be done. The crowd kicked her, spat on her. After the whole thing was over, she got death threats occasionally. How dare you interfere with what they called natural justice? also called vigilantism. Bella was active. She stepped out. Bella made people important by saving this kid's life. And lastly, she decreased. She gave up what I'm sure she wanted to do in order to do the right thing. If a 41-year-old unbeliever can perfectly demonstrate principles from the gospel, how much more can all of us do with Christ in our lives? Let's pray. Heavenly Father,